Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to register for our next workshop coming up June 23rd through the 25th in Texas in the lovely Hill Country. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. Welcome to Pure Sex Radio with your hosts, Jonathan and Stephen. This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Visit us online at puresexradio.com. And now, please welcome Jonathan and Stephen on Pure Sex Radio. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad that you're with us today. My name is Jonathan, and I'm here with Stephen Cervantes. How are you? I am good. Thank you, Jonathan. Man, that is great. You know, before we uh, get started, I wanted to let you know about our uh, Gateway to Freedom workshop. Sometimes you hear our ads on our podcast, but I just want to share with you a little bit more about that. Uh, You know, that's our three-day workshop for men who are looking to overcome any kind of sexual struggle or stronghold. And this this is for men who are either single, married, divorced. I mean, any kind of relationship status is welcome to be at this this event. And it's just a powerful way for men to get into an environment where it's safe enough to really unpack your story and really deal with all the things that are the, the underlying issues of sexually addictive kind of behavior, sexual strongholds and struggles. Uh, And so no matter where you fall on that spectrum, you know, if you're a guy that says, I don't think I'm sexually addicted, that's fine. If you're struggling and you want to overcome that struggle, this can be a great uh, event for you. Also, if you're a guy that maybe you've been on the journey for a while of pursuing greater integrity and purity, but you feel stuck, it can be a good place for you to get unstuck and gain some new insights. Uh, Stephen is actually one of our uh, breakout group counselors here at the uh, one that we do in Texas, and we do them also in Pennsylvania, Colorado, and Florida. So you can get more information about the workshop at gatewaymen.com. And they're a great experience. Mm-hmm. The last retreat, a guy stood up and said, I learned more in three days than I did in months of treatment. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just have the ability to make a powerful impact. Yeah, it really peels back uh, the layers and opens you up to to things that you maybe have never been opened up to or never realized before. I also want to make a little plug for it. If you're in ministry, if you're a pastor or you're somebody in ministry, this can be a great uh, help for you as well. We've had many pastors and other folks in ministry come. So it is a safe environment. It's a confidential environment where we can really... Um, protect you in a way that makes you feel safe enough to to really uh, go deep. 
Good. So, Stephen, let's uh, let me pass it off to you, and and why don't you share with us where we're going today? Today is called miscellaneous thoughts. <laughs> it's uh, just a bunch of ideas that I've captured that I want to explore with you and our listeners. I hope this is really educational for the audience. People tell me, uh, I listen to you when I go running in the morning, or I just turn you on when I'm working. And it's like, I hope that we are changing lives. Mm -hmm. We are educating people. We're teaching you things maybe your mom and dad should have taught you. We're teaching you things that are emotional or spiritual. And and we hope that you have a growth mentality, because that's what we're about, emotional and spiritual growth that transforms lives. And we've we've even had a guy tell us one time, yeah, I listen to you guys at night before I go to sleep. So if <laughs> if we put you to sleep, we're happy with that too. That's fine. Amen. So miscellaneous <laughs> thoughts. Here you go, number one. You know, it's interesting to me that men have strong backs and deep voices and they're given authority, right? But it's almost like God said, well, I got to give them something here so they don't think they're the God, mm-hmm. right? They're the bigger, they got big muscles, strong backs, they lift, they talk, they pound, they break, they build, and they have authority. And, and so what am I going to give them to humble them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the sexual stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll give that mm-hmm. to the male. So when he thinks he's got it all together, there's like part of part of a man it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. And and would you say you're cured and you never have a sexual oh, no. thought or no. you're perfect, Jonathan? I, I feel like in many ways, uh, I don't know if I'd take it to the degree that, let's say, Paul said in terms of thorn in the flesh, <laughs> but it is a constant reminder yeah. of frailty, of weakness, yes. of, of necessity to depend on one who's greater than I am. That's perfect. You just said exactly where I was going. We're going to make you the man, and we're going to give you authority and power and a voice and a back and some strength. But, oh, did you hear what Jonathan just said? Repeat it, Jonathan. I'm also going to make sure that you don't get confused, think you're the God. Here's something for you also to work with. Yeah, and, and that's really where I think uh, sexual temptation has has crippled many men because they don't see it as something that can lead them in a po- positive direction, meaning they that's don't right. see it in the context of this helps produce humility and discipline they see it as something to compartmentalize and hide and say, you know what, I can kind of have my cake and eat it too. I can do both. Mm. I can be this man who has strength and authority and and moving out and building great things while simultaneously kind of having my character eroded through Mm. sexual sin. So you're saying to me the sexual struggle can be a great place to practice humility and discipline, and crying out to the Lord? Yeah, because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. You know, Paul, Paul said, actually, I'll boast in my weaknesses, not for the, fa- not for the sake of me saying I'm weak, mm-hmm. but so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's in that weakness that I recognize in a, in a humble fashion that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And so therefore, if you can see those temptations as an asset to be used to build the character and to build the humility, 
then you're not so fearful of the temptations. Yes. And what I see too many men is they get they're so fearful of the temptations because they've so mishandled them. Yes. So much yeah. of the time. I mean, that's where I was. I mean, it's one of the reasons that fear for many years gripped my life was because I did not see that I did not see sexual temptation in that context of something that can actually help me build character if mm. I use it in that way. Obviously, if you just keep giving in to the temptation, that's not building character. But if you can see those temptations that are just, listen, they're going to be a constant part of life. And we don't ever teach anybody that you'll get to a point where you're no longer tempted. Right. But if you can see those temptations as something that kind of keeps you humble, Mm -hmm. then you can see it as an asset instead of something that you should try to eliminate from your life. Right, because it's not going it's away. It's not going You're away. You're going to yeah. be a sexual being all your life. How do you manage it so that it has the good outcome that we're looking for? Yeah, our goal has so. never been to eliminate temptation. That's a f- that's a foolish yeah. goal. That's a. So we heard this question when we were working with this group, and they were like twenty year old Christians that were committing themselves, and they said. You know, there were struggling males that said, how do we just give our sexuality to God and then we don't have to deal with our sexuality more. Then we can just be who we're supposed to be. What would you say to a guy that says, you know, uh, I want to have a girlfriend and I want to get married and have kids, but but that's just a selfish thing. I I really should just want to serve God. Well, I would say that that is creating a line of division where God doesn't put a line of division, meaning God doesn't put a line of division between saying you either serve God or you have a wife. Mm-hmm. Even the even in Paul's instruction to the Corinthians about this idea of, you know, I'd, I'd like you to be like I am, single, so that you can devote all your time to the Lord. He's actually He was not actually saying, he wasn't creating an either or there. He was just saying, make sure you got your priorities first, because you know what? When you do get married, you do have other obligations, and yes. you do realize that you've got a wife that you need to support and deal with and focus on, and you got problems there and all that. But the issue wasn't to try to pit serving Either God or, against having a wife. Or one is better than the other, right? right? No. He's not trying to do that. So what I would say to that person is you got to be careful about creating lines where God didn't create a line. And yes. the other thing, too, that I think happens sometimes when I hear that, especially from young people, is it causes a red flag to go up in my mind that says we need to explore why they are in some ways categorizing sexual desire as something that is not good. Yes. Not not supposed to be there, not part of the program. It's a bad thing. It must that, be like evil. Yeah. You know? When in fact it you know, even in that same instruction that Paul was giving in Corinthians, he's talking about um but listen, if you can't handle the desires that are coming your way, get married. <laughs> he wasn't saying it was a I negative. I signed up for that one. He yeah. wasn't saying it was negative. He's just saying, listen, yeah. you had better be called specifically by God to be celibate and remain pure. Otherwise, since most of us aren't that strong, yep. Go get, get, married. get married and it's a good thing. That's good. You know, you got your Sunday school hat on today. You are I know. rocking it. I know. You are doing good. So I heard this comment from this lady she says to me if one more person tells me what you got to do is let that stuff drop from your head that 18 inches from your head to your heart that's what you got to do is you got to have that stuff drop down 18 inches 
And she says, but nobody ever tells you how. They all tell you, get that stuff out of your head and drop it 18 inches, but they never tell you how. And she was upset because she goes, you hear all these preachers saying, you know, it has to make that drop. Well, and I'll even confess that I've said that in my in my history, and you could probably even go back through our 500-plus archive shows and probably hear me say that at some point. And to be honest with you, I bet I said it, and I bet I didn't have an answer for how, how do you do that, you know? So it's like it's a great, so it's a great idea, say? right? It's a it great idea. It's a great idea. It makes you sound strong and smart. Here's where, here's well, where What th- do you think? What would you say or what, what comes to mind now? Because if somebody's trying mm-hmm. to be helpful, I really like that framework. I want to sound strong and helpful, and I heard this thing. Okay, okay, here's the solution. Here's, here's how I think I've maybe reframed that and— is I don't know if, again, thinking about these lines of division that we like to create, I don't know if we can even create that kind of a division here, that our that our head and our heart are so disconnected that there's even that idea. In other words, I think the reason that this woman might be frustrated, and particularly a woman, because for one thing, even the way that men and women think and process is very different. So maybe a man can say this phrase, you got to get it from your head to your heart. And a man goes, yeah, that's right, because I compartmentalize my head over here and I compartmentalize my heart over here. Whereas maybe some of the frustration for a woman is she's saying, why do you disconnect your head and your heart? It's not disconnected (laughs) in my world. You know, and I actually do think that when you even look in, in Scripture, a lot of times where it says heart or where it says mind, those aren't as distinct from one another as we have made them. Mm. In other words, it's very intertwined. Your yes. your emotional feelings and your cognitive thoughts are not really so separated from one another that you've got this nice clean line that says, okay, there's thoughts over there and there's feelings yeah, over there. That's good. So I think maybe we need to reframe the idea of it's it's more of like how can we create better flow between the two in rather the than whole system, rather than thinking yes. you got to get it from your head to your heart as if once you drop it to your heart your head's empty it's like <laughs> no we we still have thoughts right that is a perfect segue into this next question i have can you use logic to understand emotions mm. you know and so one thing i've known is that not with my wife <laughs> No, but but it's interesting because I've started thinking about emotions, and I think even emotions are logical, mm-hmm. right? And what that means is predictable, repetitive. They're, they're no, in a pattern, right? Yeah, yeah. patterned, right? And so, so uh, if a person's going to cry, they're going to cry. They're always going to cry. The same crying person always cries, right? <laughs> Right. The other person that has a head answer, they always have an answer. They just tell you what to do. Okay, just do it. Go do this thing I tell you to do, and that's the end of it, you know? Well, you know what's funny is you you witness this at just about every single gateway workshop. There's a piece in the workshop that I I put a picture of my family up on the screen. Yeah. And I've probably done 150 workshops, and mm. I cannot help but cry. So it's like, even in that sense, I know it's coming. I've, I've known for 150 workshops it's coming, right? And it's like my emotions kind Come of have up. their own it's response. Sweet. And your that. spirit, right? Yeah. The whole system sort of gets touched. So what's the, let me ask you this question as a follow-up to that. What is the benefit in relationships then to this understanding that even emotions have a logic to them or have a pattern to them. Is that helpful? Yes. Well, I, there are people that say logic is important, logic, logic, everything, you know. 
what what that is is scared people that want that are small and want to have answers and they don't want to just be out there in the unknown hey not everything has answers okay we can't fix it quickly hey it's it's okay if you're struggling it's okay nobody's going to die because they don't know the answer well that makes people nervous if you came to me and asked me i got to have a head answer and i'm mm. going to give you a logical answer but and so i'm proposing this idea that if you look at emotions they're all logical too because it's what you're saying we're not one great divide, mm-hmm. right? Patterns happen in logic and patterns happen in emotions and and things repeat themselves. And so it's funny because I think even emotions have a logic to them. They're consistent. They're repetitive. People who use emotions sort of same, you know, uh, I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. So-and-so doesn't mm. want to be my friend. Listen to the logic of all that. <laughs> there's lines, there's thoughts, there's themes that are repeated. There's a lot of logic in emotions. Mm-hmm. And so if people want to learn emotions, they can. Mm-hmm. But there are people that are so logical and so afraid. And if you peel it back, they probably had some trauma Mom screamed all the time. There was no rest. And if you have emotions, you're going to be like a screaming mom. Or dad was angry and out of control and scared everybody. And if you lose control of your emotions, and you'll be a con- you'll look like dad. And so just be logical. You know? Does that make sense? It makes total sense because I'm thinking of this in terms of how we we can we can predict within a fair range of how ourselves and how others that we know very well are going to respond emotionally in certain circumstances. Yeah, that's the logic there. But exactly, just the that's way you the logic. said that. Because, yes. so it's like, so in other words, if you've got somebody that's historically been somebody that responds in anger, yep. they're not automatic, you know, you're not going to have this, this, hey, well, we really don't know how they're going to respond to this situation because, you know, in other they're words. They're going to fall down laughing this time, right? you know. <laughs> No, right. Angry right. people are going to be angry. So I get short. it now. Is what you're saying? That's about the, the logic. logic yeah. Is that people are repetitive? The logic is: look at the pattern; it always repeats. If you talk emotional and they get scared, they're always going to get scared. So here's you know? the, what I'm hearing from you. Then is that this can help people in relationships with, with, not needing to get bent out of shape when they've when they see the same pattern over and over again. That's right. To be able to say, well, actually, now I know, I know the pattern. Yes. So when that person responds this way, I know that that's their pattern. So I don't have to always get bent out of shape and. Yes, and I can rest if I know someone's pattern. I can rest because I can tick them off. I can set them off because I know what makes them upset. Or I can calm them down and I can work around them. And when they go off, I let them go off and they cool themselves back down. Right? Everybody goes up and then comes back down. They got mad, they got short, they got irritated, whatever, they come back down. Mm-hmm. Right? And if I know that pattern, I can coexist with someone. What we don't often ask is, I wonder why they do that. Mm-hmm. You know, why do controllers need to control? Why do Or warriors... even ask it of ourselves, I wonder why I do that. No, that's you know? a very good question. That's right. And that's a question to ask the Father and say, God, help me see me. What is that? You know, and it's funny because... I'm driving in this morning, and I'm thinking, okay, fears, you can leave now. I don't need you. I'm going to talk to the Father, and I'm sort of singing the song. I'm making up like a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just I'm asking the Holy Spirit to flood me. Just fill me. Just everything else go. Worries and fears and doubts go away. Go away. I don't want you. I just, and I'm like a kid. And it's like I'm trying to get back to 
innocent, light, free. And so that even worries, problems, you got to deal with stuff for adults. But but so many of us have no rest in our being. Mm-hmm. We're in such turmoil all the time. And, and don't you think that's why it's so essential that community is part of our growth journey? And what I mean by that is we have seasons where we need we need counseling, but we always need yes. community. We need other believers to see our blind spots. We need that fellowship. We need that corporate worship. We need those kinds of things yes. to help us understand ourselves better. Which leads perfectly into the next one. I love working with men. I have discovered this. I didn't know this. I've been doing it a long time, but I just love it. I love men that get together, and and the first time we have these groups, they're scared. Oh, they're mm-hmm. so scared. And by the time they're all done, they're going, ah, we're all alike. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all guys that we're trying to figure out about our sexuality, and and nobody knew what they were doing, and things happened to us, and and we got stupid, and we're getting smarter. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm trying to do better, and and there's just you know, it's funny. I had this other thought. It takes a man to make a man. Mm-hmm. Women can't make men, and men can't make women, mm-hmm. right? So when we're around men, it's like we're refining one another. We're practicing manhood. We're sharpening, and I'm learning from you, and you're learning from me. There's just something good about being around men and working with men. Yeah. And I think one of the things that comes to my mind when you're saying that is I think we we discover this a lot of times in the workshop is um, men actually have very fragile egos. And so to be able to create a safe enough place where a man can get vulnerable and honest and real is so important because we feel like we have to put on our strong face everywhere else. When in reality, deep inside of us, there's that kid that's going, I don't know if I'm big enough or strong enough or smart enough or, you know. Yes, that's true. That's true. I appreciate that. So that leads into the next miscellaneous thought of the day. Why are deep dialogues so difficult just to stay in an emotionally intense dialogue? Why, Why is it like overwhelming and I get lost and I don't know what to do, and like my, you're so emotional. I'm, I'm scaring myself because you're so emotional, and I'm getting scared. Why are deep dialogues so scary? Do you think? I, I think, you know, for most of us, we did not have, and I, th- I think there's a little bit of an imbalance here. Probably you're thinking primarily men struggle with deep dialogues, but I think women do too. I think if if you break it apart, you realize that not a whole lot of us grew up in an atmosphere where we really were trained well on safety with extreme vulnerability. Mm. In other words, mm, you true. know, it's kind of like if you think about it generationally, just brokenness begets brokenness begets brokenness. And so depending on whatever brokenness your parents brought into their mm. relationship, that kind of sets the environment and, and how many... Again, how many of us had an upbringing where just whatever emotion, whatever thought, whatever topic, whatever it is, was fully embraced and and safe to talk about or safe to express? I don't, I yeah. don't, I don't know of anybody that has that that much kind training of an and skill you know? experience. Yeah. So one thought: Why do some people run away from deep dialogue? One of the thoughts I had is is that if you have a secret 
you don't want anybody coming close. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're not going to have any deep, honest dialogue where we just start sharing our thoughts and feelings and all that. So number one, if you got a secret, you're not going into deep dialogues. That's pretty much a given. Then two, I think sometimes we're afraid to look stupid. I don't mm-hmm. know what to say. Well, I don't know about this topic. But, and it's just like, why can't you just stay alongside me while I talk? I just want to talk. I want to be confused. I don't know what the answer is. Let me just talk. Can you stay with me while I just talk? And that's such a novel idea. People don't realize, no, I'll just stay. You talk. I won't have an answer at the end, but I can be here while you talk. And and women are really good at doing this for each other. One will talk and say, well, guess what happened to me? And the other one will do a nothing statement. What? And then the other, the first one goes again, and you can't believe it. There's this and that, and this and that. And then the responder says, "Really?" <laughs> and then the speaker goes, "And then we went and we can't believe it. You can't believe it. We went and did." And then the responder, "No, my." Then the speaker, <laughs> "Right? Can you just stay with me while I talk?" I mean, I think sometimes guys don't know women are asking that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also another thing too is that can that can lead to this idea of it being difficult to stand in deep dialogue is we've talked in another uh, broadcast about um, just like the shame dialogue, the roles, the identity pieces, those kind of things. And I think if you have a firmly implanted identity that says you're less than, or you're not Mm -hmm. good enough or whatever, then because you've adopted a role, um, then you feel like you got to stay within that role. That's true. So you've got these kind of hard, statements that you don't want to break out of that says, wait a second, you're actually asking me to step into something that's outside of my comedian role. And I can't, you know, I got to be the comedian. So so I'll make a joke about everything, whatever right. the topic is. I'll play my role as comedian. I'll make you laugh. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes then it's just difficult to think, well, how do I break into another yeah. environment? No, because if you're a comedian, you practice being a comedian and being a good comedian. Right. You make them laugh. You make them laugh all the time. You always have a joke, Right. And that's the role that some people play. That's good. So why do we have these discussions? Because sexual addiction is built on an emotionally broken framework. Mm-hmm. And a, an emotional framework that doesn't work needs relief. And you got to go act out to get some kind of relief. That's why, right? That's, why are we having these dialogues about emotional stuff? you got to have healthy men to fight the battle of sexual temptation. Right. If you're a man running a bad program, if you got brokenness and smallness and woundedness and poor thinking and and you got no unrest and you're just white knuckling it through life until you can get your next fix. So let's talk in our last few minutes here about how we can how we can direct maybe some of our listeners into certain environments or certain uh, kinds of processes that will help them to better grow emotionally because that's part of, that's really the key thing that we do in our ministry is try to connect people mm-hmm. to resources that are helpful. I mentioned one earlier that I think counseling is a huge benefit for people who are going, Hey, you know what? I've been kind of in my lane. I keep my head down and this is what I do. And, but I'm, I'm married to this person that wants to go into all these other lanes and into all these other conversations. So, so how can counseling help that person? I was just let me let me address that because I thought about it. when do when do you sit with someone that will let you tell for fifty minutes anything you want to talk about mm. and draw more out and ask you to look at it? I mean, it, it's sort of a very respectful environment. I want to talk to you about your life. I want to listen to you. I'm a zero 
and it's all about you. And tell me what you've been thinking. And a counselor will look for patterns in how you talk to, to try to hear weakness. But it's so honoring for you to give yourself the gift of just talk for 50 minutes about yourself. Mm-hmm. Just that very thought. You know, I think it probably scares some people. Yeah. But you get clarity when you say, you know what I think? And then you go, oh, I only think halfway what I really think. And you keep moving and sort of clarifying yourself. And I would say this personally, the benefit of count, that, that counseling has had in my history is that uh, it has helped me to explore areas that I didn't need, know I needed to explore. So, for instance, I come in with whatever I think is the exhibiting condition <laughs> that I need to deal with. And a good counselor can help to see, you know, you came in for this, but what I'm hearing in your story is there's some other things that are contributing to that that we really need to address before we can get to that other issue. And that's huge in terms of just like the emotional development and knowing how to unpack things. Because you're stuck hitting a wall in one place and you go take this left alleyway here and go down that pathway Right, then you don't have to keep hitting the wall, go move, yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. That's good. What other thoughts do you have about support as you close? Yeah, we've only got a little bit left, but one of the other things that I think is helpful is getting into a group because then in a group dynamic, you can have people that are yes. able to speak in your life and also yes. create an environment where you can unpack some things in a um, in a way that gives you the practice field of talking about emotional things and learning how to connect. Um, and so I think, you know, we've got plenty of other resources, too, that you can get through our Peer Community website. So if you go to purecommunity.org, you can uh, find out all kinds of other resources that can be helpful. But we want to, um, we're out of time now, but we're, we're probably going to have more of these kinds of thoughts and future broadcasts that uh, just kind of are putting together a lot of pieces that hopefully will help you move forward. But we look forward to having you back here next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.